first reading? It's from the best book of the Bible, Leviticus. Good evening. It is a good book. Don't believe him. And especially during times of challenge, let's let the Word of God give us a shower on the inside. Cleanse us and rebuild us. The book of Leviticus in the Hebrew language is called Vaikra, which means you will call. It's a divine calling. The Latin versions turned it into Leviticus as in the order of things for the priests and the Levites, which is true as to the content of the book. But it is called in Hebrew, Vayikra, God is calling. The first 18 chapters of the book are very technical. The different sacrifices, the different offerings, the worship of God, the different practices of the priests and the Levites, how to do the worship. Chapter 19, which is our chapter tonight, the sentiment changes. Now the Spirit of God doesn't tell us what to do. He tells us what he wants us to be. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now the Old Testament mind will read this as a warning. Like I'm telling you. Like God is cautioning us. You better be holy because I'm holy. But the grace message tells us it is not a warning. It is a promise. He tells us that we will be holy because he is holy. He is our Heavenly Father. He brings us into His likeness. Every one of you, verse 3, shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make your, for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering, to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. He wants our hearts. It shall be eaten the same day that you offer it, and on the next day, and if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten on all of the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, Everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane 
the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall bear your God, shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a tail-bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel portion is from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, starting at verse 34. And please stand. I know it's just a tradition, but everything we do in the presence of God is a reflection of our hearts. So this is a reflection of our honor to the king who is about to speak. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to Matthew. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Son of David, they replied. And he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may not only be acceptable in your sight but will be useful 
for your people in determining sound doctrine for correction, discipline, encouragement, and, and an increase in our faith. Come, Lord Jesus, and teach us this evening. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In your mercy, we ask this, Father, ultimately for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's, in the best of times, would be a challenging passage, but uh, in the midst of, the war, of a war, we might ask, well, what, <clears throat> what do our gospel does our gospel reading and our Old Testament reading have anything to do with the times uh, in which we live? And I do think they're quite, quite relevant. But before we get to that, just a word about the context of, uh, of what we read, especially in the gospels. Thinking about the late Second Temple period, we're thinking about a, we're thinking about Jewish communities that were engaged uh, in vigorous debate with each other, and we're talking about Jewish communities that were developing a, a liturgy, yes, a prayer life, prayer book that, um, probably looked something familiar to the way Jews are praying today. And first, there was a commitment, a deep, deep commitment to the Torah. The Torah was not just a bunch of rules and regulations that were designed to make people feel guilty or they weren't uh, being sent down from a God or by a God who was somewhere up in heaven and was miserable and didn't want anyone anywhere to have any fun. Yes, the law was Torah. It was guidance. It was direction. It was instruction. Yes, obeying those commandments would lead to life, spiritual life, blessing, and ultimately, yes, uh, eternal life, although there's, there, that, can be, that can be controversial. And maybe we'll come back to that. But the Torah is held in the highest, highest esteem. Not perhaps like we think of it today as something that's difficult, onerous, something that is designed to limit our freedom and uh, make us legalistic. And so if this is so precious and it's so valuable, it's going to be discussed and debated. Uh, it's going to be, the verses are going to be taken apart and reassembled with other verses. It's almost like a lemon. Yes, you want to take those verses and squeeze them and squeeze them and get as much meaning as possible out of each not only each verse, each phrase, each word. Yes, because all of this 
is the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. And at the same time, there are many commandments and many um, injunctions, and it can be confusing. And so the Jewish people are talking amongst themselves saying, how do we boil this down? How do we organize it? What's one thing that somehow sums it up? And that's the debate that Jesus enters into. It's it's a Jewish debate that was uh, very vigorous at the time. And there's a second aspect to all of this. And the second aspect to all of this is that there is an emerging liturgical life. There's an emerging, yes, prayer life. And what we know is that in the year two, by the year 200 BC, if not before, Jews have latched on to certain verses of scripture. Yes, including Judah, Deuteronomy 6.4. Yes, hear, O Israel. Yes, the Lord your God is one God. And this verse and the ones, many that follow in the book of Deuteronomy and some in the book of Numbers become what we know as today as the Shema. Yes, it is not technically a prayer. It's a confession. It becomes Israel confessing their faith. It also becomes for Jewish people by the time of Jesus an oath of loyalty. Yes, the way that one declares allegiance to a sovereign, to a king. And I know this is very foreign for Americans and many other many others, yes, is that you take an oath by confessing, declaring the Shema. And that oath, because one wants to be attached and loyal, you take the oath twice a day, in the morning and the evening. Some of us maybe have been sworn into the military or had to swear before a, a judge. And we might do it once or twice in a lifetime, but to do it twice a day. And finally, these verses, they become associated with the kingdom of heaven. And Jews understand that in, in order to take upon oneself God's kingship, as to to acknowledge God as king and subsequently obedience to that king, it's done through saying the Shema. Now, what does that have to do with anything? I'd like to read the same story or the same incident from Mark's gospel. Because Mark's gospel gives it a different twist. Very similar, but different. And here is what Mark has to say. I'm in Luke, that's why I I don't find it, I'm sorry. So Mark tells us the following. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. By the way, when Jews quote this verse, at least the intention of Deuteronomy wasn't uh, to make a comment about the Trinity, for example. It was simply when we say Deuteronomy declares God is one, it's, the, it's a way of saying there's only one God. Yes, there's no other, there's no other God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, all of your understanding, all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw what he had answered, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we're living at a time of great chaos. We're living at a time when things could surely spin out of control and we might end up uh, in a bigger mess than what we have now. And when it comes to uh, events and situations in which we find ourselves, at least here in this part of the world, it's very easy for us as believers to begin to think you know, there's nothing I can do. We become fatalistic or we lose our faith uh, in intercession. We can say in a way that's a cliche, God is in control, but we're not really sure we mean it. But I'd like to remind you that even from this passage alone, yes, and not even to mention the entire ministry of Jesus, yes, that Jesus is king and that Jesus rules and reigns. And Jesus rules and reigns even in the midst of chaos or even in the midst of events that look perhaps and feel apocalyptic. Even when we think maybe he doesn't care or somehow maybe he's punishing us or maybe he's apathetic to our suffering. Yes, and it becomes very easy to lose, to lose faith and it becomes very easy to lose our perspective and to even lose the big picture. We're caught up in survival. We're caught up in trying to figure out why things happen. And we miss something that's bigger. That even in the midst of human suffering, yes, and in the midst of war or chaos or sin, none of which are caused by God, Jesus still reigns and he's still working out his purposes. Yes, we don't always understand how he brings redemption. We don't always know when 
redemption will ultimately come, but it will come. And he is present. And he does continue to rule and reign in the lives of people, yes, that make him king and that invite him in. And in the midst of all this, we can ask ourselves, well, what is our response? What do we do? Many people are out doing good things, but still our focus and our vision should be on the kingdom of heaven and the redemptive work that Jesus is doing in the midst of human disobedience or demonic rebellion because he hasn't advocated. He hasn't taken himself off the throne. And when Jesus teaches and preaches the kingdom of heaven, illustrates the kingdom of heaven, demonstrates the kingdom of heaven, yes, he does what God has done from the beginning. And that is to invite human beings into partnership with God. Adam and Eve were invited to partner with God, right, in the work of blessing. Abraham is invited and given the privilege. Israel is given the privilege of being God's son, yes, and being God's family, being a light to the nations. Yes, God gives us that opportunity. And we're given the opportunity to partner with him, yes, in the work of the kingdom of heaven, right? In this redemptive work, yes, in which God is taking control of what was rightfully his, but was lost to, was lost to human disobedience, right? And demonic maliciousness. That's the invitation that we have. And that invitation is no more relevant, yes, than it is at a time like this. But what do we do? Yes, it's found in the words of Jesus, yes? The kingdom of heaven, the Shema, right? The commandments. We're called in every situation, to first and foremost, yes, declare, yes, the oneness of God. Meaning, we're, we're to declare that there are no other gods and that in that declaration, we're not just mouthing something or saying something. Yes, we are turning away from any other idolatry, or any other kind of false worship, or putting our ultimate trust and dependence in anything that's been made by human hands, our security, our provision, our identity, yes? And then to love God, to love God. And again, that might strike us as being a little strange. What does it mean or, or what does it mean to love God? Or what, how is it that God can even command us to love him? I mean, after all, thanks to the, to, uh, the romantic movement and the enlightenment, in the last 200 years, love is a feeling. And it's a sentiment. 
Yes, and sometimes we can't control love. You know, it just kind of comes and goes. You fall in love. You know, it wasn't my fault, you know, that I had to run off with my neighbor's wife. I couldn't help myself. Or you fall, in, you, you fall out of love, right? Or love becomes highly eroticized or sexual. I mean, love and sex are obviously connected. But in our society today, yeah, there's so many distortions about what it means to love. Or love becomes very sentimental. It becomes a Valentine's Day card. But that's not what God is commanding us to do, right? And what he is asking us to do is not, very the- it's not so theological or not very abstract, and it's not very sentimental, yes? He's asking us to do things that are quite, that are quite practical. So look at Deuteronomy for a moment, yes? Because if the love of God if loving God is so closely connected to the kingdom of heaven, to the rule and reign of Jesus, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others, we better have a, an understanding. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us, well, you better find it first. Here we go. It's, it's marked, but... Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your <clears throat> love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So first of all, what is love? And again, the Bible oftentimes doesn't define things as much as it tells us what things do. So love in this case, or love all through the book of Deuteronomy. Again, it's not a feeling or a sentiment or some, something you, you read on a, on a greeting card. Yeah. Love is actually defined as loyalty. So if you, if you look at uh, 11, Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, it says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands. Yes, um, and to do this always. Or in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, it says, walk in his ways. And now, O Israel, this is ten twelve. what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today. And it's the verse that I've quoted before. Yes? For your own good. For your own good. Yes? Obeying God's commandments is not trying to make some old man in heaven who we oftentimes portray him as being uh, very angry or miserable, right? That God gave commandments, right, for our own, the good of our, not just, the, not just of us individually, but for the good, good of our community. Um, hearing, hearing the Lord's voice. Many of us talk about hearing the voice of God or wanting to hear the voice of God. 
But uh, 11.13 says, Deuteronomy again, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, right? Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both the autumn and the, both the autumn and the, the spring rain, okay? Um, so, faithfully obeying, and another translation says in this verse, <coughs> heeding his voice, right? So loving the, and there, by the way, there are many other verses, and we'd probably be here a month, but what does it mean to love the Lord, our God? And how can it be commanded? Because very simply, it's referring to loyalty, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, yes, listening to his voice, serving him. And actually this puts a, um, puts flight the lie that we sometimes again have in our culture as Christians and others, yes, all we need is love. All we need is love, right? We don't need any specifics. We don't need the details. We just need to have, I don't know, positive feelings towards people. Yes, we don't want to become legalistic. We don't uh, want to get tied up or entangled uh, in all of these details. And we all know that Jesus came and he preached love. But this same Jesus who, who commands us to love God and in a moment commands us to love our neighbors. This same Jesus in Matthew chapter five, the same gospel, he's gonna tell us, what? I have not come to abolish the commandments. I've not come to abolish the Torah, but rather I've come to properly interpret them. And if your righteousness, he tells the disciples, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, in no way are you going to enter, he says, the kingdom of heaven and which he's using in that sense as his movement. You're not going to enter my movement, the movement who makes me king, the movement that has many responsibilities, yet many blessings and benefits at the same time. So Jesus isn't abolishing the love, uh, he isn't abolishing the commandments. He's simply helping us to understand, yes, that what motivates us is the love of God. And we don't necessarily have to have the feelings. It's nice that the feelings are there and the sentiment is there. But again, what the Bible is asking us to do is very practical and it's not very abstract. And of course, secondly, it's to love our neighbor. And Jesus puts these two scriptures together and there's a good reason why in Hebrew he he can do that. There there were um, exegetical rules or rules of interpretation at the time that 
uh, allow teachers and commentators to split verses up and to reattach them with other verses. And the context of loving the neighbor as ourself is really, um, I think it's very fascinating because it comes in a chapter with, which begins with God calling Israel to holiness. And we don't usually associate love and holiness. We associate holiness with someone being judgmental or someone being stern or maybe fire and brimstone. But we'll soon learn that the essence of holiness, right, the essence of being different, the, effort, the essence of being a, a community that is, can be distinguished from other communities, yes, is basically the way people treat each other. It's what's going to make us different. And the level of holiness, yes, that comes out of a community will invite, yes, uh, the intimacy of God. The more holy we are, the more, in, the more intimacy, yes, the deeper the relationship is with the Lord. And so holiness in this chapter I'm just going to read a few verses. Holiness in this chapter, I'm going to start in, um, I'm going to start in 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not see, deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Yes, and this is the great holiness chapter. It defines for us, yes, the essence of holiness. And in part, it's not only being separate, and here we're not talking about being weird, okay? It's about being set, a community being set aside for the Lord, and the essence of that community is goodness, right? Fairness, justice, yes, mercy to others. And the verse that Jesus picks up on, it's a very famous verse. And once again, if it's read through the eyes of the 20th century, 
and I apologize because I have said this more than once from the pulpit, but I think it's, I think it bears repeating, right? If it's read from the, from the eyes of the 21st century, which is the age, still the age of Freud, even though he's been discredited on many levels and for many things, right? Because we have a therapeutic culture and that's not all bad. Some of it is positive, but some of it is not. And the way that this verse has been so often applied to people is, well, you should ideally love the other person, but you need to learn to love yourself first. And once you learn to love yourself, then you can give out to others. But even if it takes 10 or 20 years, you know, of therapy or, or soul searching or gazing at one's belly button, yes, you know, you just, just work on yourself and you'll get around to it. And again, allow me to repeat myself. There is a disease called self-hatred. And that is a very crippling crippling disease in the life of, of a believer, yes, or the life, in the life of any community. Self-hatred, right? An inability to accept ourselves, an inability to maybe, f it goes along with forgiving ourselves, forgiving others. And I encounter this on a frequent basis in the lives of people. Sometimes it's hidden very deep. And I urge folks to seek healing and restoration from the Lord. So I don't want to make light of that. But again, that's not what the verse says. And that's not how the verse was understood when Jesus lived. And to put it in, to give it its dynamic 21st century, 21st century uh, twist, it goes like this. You shall love your neighbor, yes, because he or she is annoying just like you. You shall love your neighbor because he or she is a narcissist, just as you are. You shall love your neighbor because he or she is always late. Yes? Or it gets a little more complicated. You shall love your neighbor because even though he or she, he or she or love your neighbor, he or she is addicted to food, just like you're addicted to your iPhone. The verse basically says, the is understood by Jesus to be the following. Yes, you shall love your neighbor. And Jesus, by the way, defines the word neighbor for us in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because in Hebrew, the word neighbor, reah, could mean just your friend. But Jesus gives, it, gives the word its widest interpretation. So it includes our enemy. And 
you, you shall love your neighbor or your enemy, yes, because he or she is a human being just like you. Just as we want mercy and we want forgiveness and we want a second chance in life, we need to extend that to other people. And then all through this chapter, there's this phrase, I am the Lord. And the way Jews understood their Bibles is that, you know, nothing is there by accident. Every word, virtually every syllable has some kind of meaning. Yes, what is the meaning of attaching all these phrases to these different commandments? I am the Lord. And Jews understood, Jesus did too, that when he says, I am the Lord, it's, there's a connection between the way that we, the way that we treat our neighbor is the way that, or the quality of the of relationship that we have with our neighbors is the relationship that God's going to have with us. So we're used to having all kinds of rights and not very many duties. And we often are asking ourselves, what's in this for me? Well, here's something that we might want to consider out of enlightened self-interest. Yes, we can't have the best relationship with God and expect him to be merciful to us if we can't be merciful, yes, to someone in our family or to someone we work with. Yes, we can't expect God to necessarily to be generous with us and to be and to provide for us if we can't be generous with others. We can't expect God to go easy on us in judgment if we don't show mercy or compassion or understanding. Yes, when it comes to judging others. And brothers and sisters, we do at times have to judge others. The issue is not whether we judge. The issue is what kind of judgment. Yes. The quality, the nature of the judgment. And of course, we all know the verse. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And Matthew's gospel tells us in chapter 6, if we can't forgive others their sins, then how does God, how can we expect God to forgive us? Yes. Loving God, again, practically, loving our neighbor, yes, in a very non-abstract way, is the way in which we partner, yes, with Jesus. And it's the way in which his kingship, yes, is manifest in this world. A world that's confusing, a world that's chaotic, a world in which we can question, is God really in control? Yeah. And what do we do in these times of crisis? I think the verses, by the way, um, in Romans, 
is very, very applicable to us who live in this country, especially now. And I think Paul is commenting uh, or being inspired not only by the words of Jesus, but by Leviticus 19. So listen to what Paul says after he tells us that uh, we are to present uh, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. He goes on in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the way we relate to the saints as to those brothers and sisters who are in the Messiah. The next verse, the next verse, and those that follow, are for those who are outside our community. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. Sorry, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not become discouraged or overwhelmed. Right? Don't, let's not lose the big picture here. Yes, the Lord is in control and working out his purposes despite human disobedience. Yes, and resistance from the devil. And in the end, the Lord wins. And in the end, Jesus is king. And Jesus calls us, yes, calls us, yes, to partner with him in proclaiming and demonstrating and living out that kingship so that uh, we can resist evil and push back the darkness.
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the Lord has commanded us to love. It's it's a decision of the will. At the same time, we may say, I can't do it. It's hard for me. It's really hard for me to love so-and-so. It's really hard for me to treat so-and-so and maybe in a loving manner. I've tried. I just can't do it. I can't somehow fully, fully love God. And may I remind you that not only is love commanded, but love is also fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Loving, as the Bible commands us, yes, is more than a decision of the will. It is something that, in a supernatural way, that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us can enable us to do and to live in such a way, yes, that demonstrates and reveals, yes, uh, the rule and reign of King, King Jesus, yes, not only in our lives, but the lives of our community. I think we need to um, turn to the Lord and the Jesus, the, the Spirit that, that dwells in us, uh, will certainly enable us or strengthen us or give us that grace to do what we might find to be very difficult at this time. So, Father, we do ask that in your mercy that you would allow us, your people, to be salt and light in the way that we love you, put you, put you first. Lord, we express our loyalty to, loyalty to you by turning away from other, from all other gods and, Lord, the way that we love each other. Lord, we pray that, um, indeed, we can be faithful to the covenant that we have with you and the covenant that we have with each other and your Son, Jesus, the Messiah. Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom uh, to live in this way. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.